0: The following is a live presentation of the Commercial Appeal.
1: I think every bowl game is a reward and an opportunity to continue on and to go play and to be able to be in that locker room one more time with that group of guys. It's going to be special. Wherever we uh, have the opportunity to go, you know, we're going to be extremely grateful. We're going to prepare to go be victorious. That's eight wins. We didn't sign up for that. We want to push to maximize every opportunity so we know that the next step in front of us is to finish as bowl champions. That's the number one goal when you walk in our team room. The top part of that pyramid is we want to finish bowl champions every year.
0: This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Tom Shan, Jeff Calkins, and Phil Stukenborg.
1: All right. What's up, y'all? We have reached the end of the regular season here in 2016. Um, We'll get to the bowl possibilities and all that here in a little bit. As always, Jeff Calkins, Phil Stukenborg, and I um, here in studio. First things first. Uh, quite a win, quite quite a win that they had there uh, on, on Black Friday day after Thanksgiving. Um, easily, I think their best of, of this season. Um, probably not quite Ole Miss level, but you know it's not every day that they face a uh, a top twenty team and and take them down like that. So um, first first things first, Jeff. What were your initial impressions? I guess just of how that that game unfolded and, and Memphis coming out the win there,
2: oh, I think we were all surprised that they were able to beat him. I mean Houston looked so impressive against Louisville uh the week before um obviously um you know there were other things going on with Houston, but I don't think we should take away from Memphis because Tom Herman you know was preparing to get on a jet um. The fact that he single covered uh, Anthony Miller might, might might be open for question, but um, listen, I thought it was incredibly impressive uh, at all kinds of levels, but mostly the fact that after they went down, after Houston finally scored the touchdown to go ahead, it just felt like it was that that had to be it, right? Like it was boy, they gave it a gallant fight, and it's honestly what we said about this team. Um, it's what. Came to characterize the team under Justin Fuente last year, and um, it was it, that whole, you know, creating a tough-minded group that when even things got difficult, they were always they were resilient. They came back. They and that it was true in against BYU, uh, you know, in the Miami Beach Bowl. It was true against Cincinnati last year. It was true against Ole Miss last year. It was true. And one of the big questions we had about this year's group was. When times got tough, how would they react? Would they be that same resilient group? And I think I give um, Mike Norvell all kinds of credit for what he's done this year, Um, all kinds of credit. Um, But I do think I also give the players an enormous amount of credit because there was a a moment when Mike Norvell takes over and he says, listen, you're not going to wear hats anymore and you're not going to have... your your phones in and you're not and you can go one of two ways you can say screw you this is the way we've been doing it forever you know or you can say what we have built here is so important to us and so meaningful to us that we are going to we're just going to keep winning no matter what and I think that core of players um, decided they were going to keep winning no matter what now I think I think Mike Norvell, and he's been very generous about saying that too, like th- that he inherited a group of players. Now I think he made him better. All he had to see was the the great clip um, from after the game where Arthur Mallette walks up to him and says, um, you changed me, bro. Like that was like, what do you want from a coach? Except for a guy who literally walks up to the, co- and, and is filled with gratitude for the way that he has been helped shaped by a new coaching staff. And um, so I think he's done a lot, but I I think their ability um, to come back not just once but twice after they go down I think it speaks to the character of the team I think it speaks to what Mike Norvell has built and I think it speaks to um to to the the the, the stars who were really the key parts of it um, Phil Mayhew uh, who often gets overlooked in this mm-hmm. but then Anthony Miller who just is a stud and keeps coming up big play and big play. And then my favorite, Riley Ferguson, um, who I think is a great story and who after game one, um, when he threw some picks, I just said at the time, I think he's going to get it done because he's accurate and he's got a big arm and he's tough. And we saw that. Um, we saw that there. Like he was superb in those moments. So um, to, to, to rise to the occasion, not once but twice and get it done on that stage. In those circumstances, I think it spoke volumes.
1: There was a sense, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you mentioned kind of when they were coming back in the third quarter. I mean, there was a time in the third quarter where Memphis, late in the third quarter, had like 50-some offensive yards in the quarter, and they punted on their first four drives in the third quarter. And after last year, there was kind of a sense of deja vu because last year they gave up 20 unanswered points. Uh, they had a, I think they had a 20-point lead and lost um, and then they gave up twenty unanswered points there in the second half against Houston, and it was kind of this "oh, here we go again" type of feeling. And I think that that you know is even in in a lot of ways even tougher to combat. You know, when when you've been in that situation before, and and to kind of fight no, that I agree off
2: completely. Yeah, so, no, I mean, yeah, you, you had the first half. It was what were the like the drives? Of the first half were touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown, touchdown field touchdown. goal, and then yep. the drives in the second half were punt, 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 and it just felt like whoa. And to be able to pick yourself up because there was a lot of. And I'm not sure it was accurate. There was a lot of criticism in this beginning of the second half of Mike Norbert. Oh, why have we gone conservative? And I don't know if they went conservative as long as they were just went uneffective. Right. Um, but then to be able to, in that moment, to pick yourself up and get it done was really impressive.
0: Yeah. You know, it's something to, uh, as Jeff was talking about earlier, to implement those changes that Mike uh, brought in when he came in with the with – the, uh, what, no headphones and no hats – You can do that when your program has started to, to build a tradition and you've got some players in there that understand what you have to do to win. I think that, that helps too. And when you describe their personality as a team coming back the way they did, you're describing Anthony Miller, I think. Mm -hmm. He seems to be the heart and soul of the team and, and you kind of rode him as much as you rode Riley Ferguson. But, but it seemed like he had that, uh, just that inner sense that I'm not, I'm not giving up to there's no time on the clock.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting kind of talking, and I kind of saw this as the game was going on. Um, After Anthony Miller had a couple, he had a couple drops. Um, I think it was in the third quarter or second quarter. And after one of them, he came over to the sideline, and Orville kind of took him aside and and said something to him. And, um, you know, basically what he said was, keep your head in it. We're going to need you here as the game goes on. And Anthony Miller walked over to kind of the right in front of the, the bleachers and just started catching passes on the sideline between drives. Like he was just having somebody throw him the ball just to get more reps in, and you just had that sense that he wasn't, like you said, he wasn't going to give up, and I thought that was interesting, and kind of a microcosm of, of the game as a whole. Well,
2: and there was an echo of the South Florida game, where in that same moment, they, they weren't able to get it done, and then to come back and get it done, um, I think, you know, again, it was just perfect. It was a perfect ending.
1: Riley, you mentioned Riley, and kind of, I think his composure uh, in the fourth quarter, you can't really overstate. Kind of how impressive that was, and and I talked to him after the game just about how he said he's always just been like that. He's always felt comfortable in, in pressure situations, and and every guy will will tend to say that. Um, but I think there was something to that, you know, when they got the ball with whatever it was, minute and a half left, um, you know, in the, in their own towards their own end, um, and and drove down. And granted, it wasn't a perfect drive, but there were a lot of little things. I mean, that throw we've written the. The slant to Miller in the end zone to death, but you think about that throw on the far sideline to Phil Mayhew that just hit him and two defenders.
2: He 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 throws that brilliantly well. Um, Yeah, that's a perfect ball. Honestly, the ball before that, the deep ball to Anthony Miller. Like if he's inaccurate, none of this happens, and he's he's you know just dead on accurate all the time. And um, the, the Mayhew throw might have been the most impressive, but like those are three throws. And if you're just a little off, none of those throws, you know, none of this, we're not here. We're not talking about this. So we're talking it's a very different conversation.
1: Right. And he's gotten better. I did the stats kind of in November and obviously he didn't play much in the Cincinnati game. But in November he's completed, I think it's 66% of his passes for more than a thousand yards, 11 touchdowns, one pick. And I it, think that you've seen that kind of growth over the course of the season in him. People can talk
0: about being composed and, and handling pressure and, and liking to be in that situation, but he, he just continually showed it. I mean, it was just – it's just who he was. We talked I, – I think you asked me early in the year, like, he, who he would compare to. I, th- I said if he had a year like Martin Hankins, then it would be a good year. Well, he went out and had a year like Paxton Lynch almost.
2: Yeah. To me, it it almost starts from – Here's a guy who looked at what Paxton Lynch did and he wasn't in, and I this is he wasn't intimidated by it at all. He saw it as an opportunity. I'm truly one of the years one of the reasons he wanted to come to Memphis, and he was absolutely open about this, was he said, I saw what Paxton was able to do on that stage, and I said, Hey, look, he's turned himself into a first round pick at Memphis. I can go there, I can do what he did, and I can And I can sort of catapult myself. I can restart my career having waylated by left Tennessee, by leaving Tennessee and whatever. I can go there. I can do the exact same thing. A lot of quarterbacks might have said, I don't want any part of following Paxton Lynch. Instead, he said, look what he did there. I'm just that good. I can go and do the same thing. He's carried that confidence from the first day he stepped on campus.
1: And statistically, it's interesting kind of comparing him to what Paxton did last year, because you you think back to last year and how it was this kind of record breaking, you know, once in a decade kind of season. And then you look at what Riley's done this year. I mean, in terms of passing yards, I think he's 3000 or 300 or 400 short, but he's on par in terms of touchdown passes. And he play. Same,
2: They both have 28 touchdown passes. He's got more picks, nine to four or something like he's got, that. He's got more picks. Which you'd expect because he started as a first-year guy.
1: You yeah. Know? And completion percentage, he's at 63, which is fourth all-time um, single season in, in Memphis football history. So, I mean, he's right up there. And it's, and it's just interesting. It's been interesting to kind of look at how, it, just in the context of the season, how he's been perceived by the fan base as much as everything else. You know, Paxton was like, oh my God, it's Paxton. And then Riley has come out and done statistically... Just as well. You know, they finished, last year they had nine wins in the regular season. This year they have eight. But it's just interesting that, you know, I was getting tweets three weeks ago Some about Some of the criticisms Riley of Riley
2: Ferguson were the stupidest things. I mean, just stupid. Um, he holds the ball too long. He's making bad decisions. Bench Just They were just dumb. He, he I mean, he, he was under extraordinary pressure. Offensive line, by the way, shout out to the offensive line for yep. the job that they did Saturday. Yep. He was under unbelievable pressure. He was the reason they were winning when they were winning. Yes, occasionally he had to force things because he was the reason, you know, because he was making, he was the one who was making things happen. First year quarterback, that was some of the more moronic, uh, uh, feedback we'd have forgotten that Riley Ferguson was part of the problem he was always been part of the solution not part of the
1: problem so here's my question and Anthony Miller I asked him about chemistry with Riley after the game and how they've really just since spring it seems like they really hit it off you know and the friends off the field kind of helps as as they transition onto the field and Anthony just kind of out of the blue was like I don't know if people know but I'm I think I'm going to come back and he I said wondered about not, that you didn't ask him no he he said, and then we, we circled back later and we said so you gonna come back and he said well you know we still need to, to see but he said I, I think I'm gonna come back so with that in mind and with Riley obviously coming back next year what is the what is the ceiling I mean I guess specifically for Riley having a guy like Anthony Miller back like what 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 is his ceiling what is he capable of next year he can be I mean if <laughs> if, if he can take what he did this year
0: and you you see the the progress that Paxton Lynch made from from that First year to the second year, and from the second to the third. Yeah, I think he can he can put up some numbers where he could break every every single season record that Paxton Lynch had. I mean, I I think it it obviously
2: bodes well for next year, and I think so much of the talent is returning, as you pointed out, Tom. Before um, the the defensive backfield is going to need a little reconstruction. Yep, that might be an area of some concern, um, but. Broadly speaking, like there's a lot of this team coming back. And obviously, if Riley comes back and Anthony Miller comes back, that's a huge part of it. And and yeah, fun to contemplate. It's not automatic that – I mean, Deshaun Watson was great last year in Clemson. And this year, he was just a little less great. He wasn't more great. He was just a little less great. Like every year is its own thing. And I would imagine that you would see the best of Riley Ferguson, the part of Riley Ferguson that you've seen this last month that you would see throughout the course of the year – I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm grateful he's coming back. It'll be fun to cover him. I think, you know, uh, and and it it bodes well. I'm not necessarily saying, well, boy, if he threw for 28 touchdowns this year, he could get 38 next year. Maybe I hope so. That would be great, but I don't I don't think it automatically follows that every year is so much dramatically better than the next.
0: Well, you look at the schedule too. I mean, it's not. Uh, I guess the non-conference schedule. There's no. There's no major. Uh, Major player? If you look at the schedules, at Georgia State they go to. Yeah, yeah, I think
1: I think next year is the year that they have UCLA and UCLA. I'm sorry, at, UCLA at does so come that's in the, here. Yeah, that's, that's right. The, that's that the that is power one. five one, but
0: but yeah, I mean there's there it sets up pretty well for him and with everyone coming back. I right. mean it
2: sets up very much like it did. Um, Going into Paxton's senior year, you know, because coming off of his junior year, we knew how good he was. He just won the Miami Beach Bowl. Yeah. And you could contemplate. It wasn't a senior year. His junior year, I guess. His last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like that. It's like, my gosh, we got the same coach back. We got the same We got the same quarterback back. We got the same basic set of receivers back. We're going to be able to make hay, And they did and um, and I think that's to me that's the feeling you carry now into next year, because this year, while I think people were excited about Mike Norvell and they were optimistic about Mike Norval, it was still all unproven, like uh, uh, Riley Ferguson, same thing, unproven so now I think going into next year, I do think there was there there was there can be a real sense of excitement as to what is possible
1: so i I just kind of want to put a bow on the regular season here, and I think that we're all kind of in agreement that they. I mean, they certainly exceeded our expectations. We all sat in here in whatever August and said seven and five, kind of across the board, to finish eight and four to beat a top twenty team to possibly finish. I mean, if they win the bowl game, which we'll get to here in a little bit, could match the record from from last year's team. Um, what is the what is the tenor of this season? And obviously, the bowl game could still change it. You know how that if they go out and lay an egg there, that that might change the tenor. But but right now, when you when you look back, kind of. At the 2016 regular season, what what is the what is the tenor, and what are your big takeaways? I think you exceed expectations when
0: you see that because you didn't know what you had in Riley Ferguson when you came in. You knew he had pretty good credentials in junior college. He had, he had come. He had been the the you know Tennessee signee, but to see him on the field and to see him prove as the year went on, I think that's that's where you kind of exceeded.
2: Oh, I yeah, I th-
0: I think um,
2: everything about this has been. Exceeded. I think recruiting has exceeded expectations. I think uh, Mike Norvell promised and then delivered on a, on a level of transparency and enthusiasm with the program that has certainly exceeded expectations. I think the the number of Ws has exceeded expectations. I thought attendance held up pretty darn well all season long. Um, to me, honestly, the only thing that was the bummer of the season had nothing to do with Mike Norvell or anyone else. It's that the Big 12 thing went away yeah. like that would have been if the Big 12 thing had come through. And if on top of this, you knew you were heading into the Big 12 in a year or two, that's going to be still the perennial fight for this program. We can you can and and it's why people are already wondering whether next year might be Mike Norvell's last is because when you're not a Power Five conference team, you're still a stepping stone team. And so so to me that was the only and, and even that was softened when it turns out the Big Twelve didn't expand at all. And so, you know, you you, you can't feel too bad about it. Um you feel more like the process was a joke than anything else. But that is, that will be the continuing challenge for this program. Can they get into that? And, and so that's still the larger picture within the, the performance on the field and beyond. I don't know how you can, I mean, and I do think some enormous amount of credit has to go to the administration. Um, we, we've thought about Mike Norvell and the players and everything else, but it was David Rudd. <clears throat> who in the press box and Tom Bowen who was taking a beating in the press for all kinds of things but um but David Rudd who in the pro- press box after the last game last year came up to me and said we will name our coach within five whatever it was <laughs> within 5 days and we will be fine and we will be better you know what and like he just laid it out there and then it looked with the Odom stuff like, oh, this may be going off the rails or whatever. And he moved on. And honestly, it's probably good the way that that's played out in Missouri. It's good he moved on. They identified a guy who most of us hadn't heard of. Um, and they picked him and they were dead on right. And so I think a lot of credit has to go to the administration for because you don't have room for error here. If you're like look at yeah. Cincinnati now. You know, they 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 picked the coach who apparently appears to be the wrong coach. You don't have any room for you can't make the wrong choice. And it doesn't appear they did make the wrong choice. And so I think they deserve a lot of credit for this too.
1: Looking ahead to the bowl game, I'm curious. I'm kind of in the camp this year that you you want to get a win and I feel like it's different than it was last year in that sense. Last year I thought it was beneficial to challenge an sec team or a power five team in that bowl i thought birmingham made a lot of sense to to stay local to treat your fans you know something within driving distance this year i think you just want to end with a win um and and kind of all the projections you know as early as this morning stuart mandel fox sports is saying boca um what we've heard is that they want boca that's kind of their their preference um where they would play a conference usa team i think um but but if you are kind of Mike Norvell and you're looking and you had your your pick of bowl games, would you want a challenging final bowl, you know, against like say the Military Bowl against an ACC team or the Birmingham Bowl against a, a Big Twelve or a, a SEC team where you can kind of prove yourself against higher competition, or do you want to end with a win? Do you want to end it early, end with a win, ride that momentum into the off season?
2: It's possible to beat higher competition. It's possible to do both. Right. Um, I have a hard time, I'll be completely honest with you. I will have a very hard time divorcing my own personal self-interest here from the team's self-interest. I want a game that is going to be over so I can be with my family on Christmas. That's what I want. The Boca Bowl is perfect. It's the 22nd, you get on a plane the 23rd. You've, it's it's and honestly for the fans too. Like, n- how many fans are going to go to the game on the twenty sixth? The what is the 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 Saint Peter's Pete a twenty six. Yeah. No one's going to go to that game. No one wants to go to that game. It's not only that it's in the morning of the twenty sixth. I don't care who they're playing. I don't care, you know whatever. I want no part of that ball. I want the Boca Bowl so I can be home. And uh and if it's a win, so much the better. Is that too selfish of me? Yeah. But I actually I, I even think that for the fan base, I think it's the same thing. Like no one's going to want to go to a game on the twenty sixth twenty second so people go to that game right you know and and uh and so yeah that's my, I, i'm sorry i can't set aside my personal self-interest in this one
0: i don't know you know you, you could you could have two tickets to the saint pete bowl in your stockings jeff then, uh, <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, you can't because you can't you'd have to leave by wait, wait. two o'clock christmas day you're not going to yeah. be able to get on a flight the 26 <laughs> and get down there in time
0: it might be an exciting Christmas, gift, yeah, you know. Right? Yeah. No, well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Boca is Boca looks like it's the ideal, and, and and I guess some of the projections have them going against Southern Miss, mm-hmm. and if that happens, and you've got a, a renewal of a of a rivalry that you know it was was known through the years as one of the I guess the longest the black standing, and blue, black and blue, and TV would have a little bit to sell from that standpoint. So I I don't know. I mean, that might be that might
1: be the the best of all worlds. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little in your camp, Jeff. Where I was, I mean, I was like gung ho Bahamas Bowl, and they, they're not in the Bahamas <laughs> right, right. Bowl, so I won't be eating Popeyes chicken on the beach. That's, I'm kind of heartbroken about that. So if that's out of the picture, yeah, something early, something in Florida. I think fans would appreciate something in Florida after Birmingham. I mean, especially just with how Birmingham, I mean, it was just dreary for dismal. three days or whatever, and then the way that that game ended too. I don't think that was a Good experience. And you do feel bad
2: for the Houstons of the world. I mean, it's exactly the situation that Memphis was in last year. You just, you know, it's, I don't know that there's a way around it. um, But, it's it stinks the way it evolves you know the way that it ends for houston and now they're going to go to some bowl and they're going to have you know whatever fill in coach and and that's unfortunate and obviously that was the hangover that memphis was dealing with all i mean that was not that memphis tiger team against auburn i'm not sure i'm not saying that justin fuente's memphis tigers would have beaten auburn but that team had no shot of beating auburn and yes i think it colors the way we thought about the whole bowl generally
0: hey do we know we know coach of the year uh I, for the American Athletic Conference, do we know who might win that? Because Justin Fuente, I guess, just earned the uh, ACC coaches. Yeah, here.
1: just this morning, Justin Fuente won that. Um, that's a good question, you know, and it's it's tough. You could make an argument for any number of teams. I mean, Willie Taggart to go yeah. ten and two there. Mm-hmm. Philip Montgomery to go nine and three at at Tulsa was pretty good. And if you want a dark horse, I mean, Chad Morris, Morris. at SMU. Yep. You know, he took a program that was had won, you know, whatever three games in two years or something. Navy and, and, seems to win. Navy. <laughs> Navy and Navy, and winning. it's it's funny how we Matt rules we, a pretty good coach
2: I mean it's it, there's yeah. a, could, there's a lot of good coaches in this conference
1: yeah and it's it's funny how we at least I feel like sometimes I kind of forget about Navy you know and just how good they've been since they've just a juggernaut since they came into the league in the first place so mm-hmm. yeah so you could really make an argument yeah. for any number of any number of I mean even Scott fraud you know six and six at, at UCF, UCF you know after they went homeless right whatever yeah last year so <laughs> Yeah, you can make a number and, and you can make a case for any number of, of different coaches. But we'll wait to see uh, what happens with that. Wait to see where the bowl destination uh, is for Memphis. That will be announced on Sunday. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Again, we think Boca would be their preference. Jeff and I want to go to Boca so we can come back for Christmas. Uh, but we will see what all shakes out with that. And we will check in with you uh, down the road here on the Tiger Football Podcast. Thanks for For the latest news
0: and analysis, follow The Commercial Appeal on Twitter at Memphis News. This is The Commercial Appeal.